From the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. I'm an American! Whoa. I'm not an animal! That, that, I don't want to be muzzled! You, you have like no a, choice when you're listening to this show today but to be right. happy and positive. Well, you're going to have a challenge. Was I low-key faded? Maybe. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Wednesday. Cofield and company, Ari in the Finley Toyota Studios. Big, big show on the way. Lots to cover. Obviously, the Knights are going to be a focal point. We've got uh, people in the market, people out of the market to break down what happened last night. An unbelievable game, an unbelievable comeback. And the Knights on the verge of advancing, but it's not over yet. Because remember, remember, the last series, everyone was all fired up. Wilder done. Wilder done. And they weren't done. And this series has been even tighter than the Wild series. So here's what's trending at 2 o'clock before we get to all the night stuff. Uh, first of all, we've got camps going on around the National Football League. We'll get to the Raiders here in just two minutes with a couple of snippets. And we'll check in with uh, AP writer who covers the Raiders, Josh Dubow, in the 5 o'clock hour. Uh, news around the Niners camp. This is a weird one. They've actually canceled the final day of practice. Now, if you didn't see it, they had some injuries yesterday, and that's got to freaking spook everyone in the San Fran organization because last year was torn apart by just injury after injury after injury. So yesterday they had a starting right guard go down for the year. They had one of the safeties in the mix go down for the year. They lost two guys in June practice. So that'll freak anyone out. We're going to hit this with our football insider, Caleb Herring, in the 4 o'clock hour. But what does that mean? Because I think a lot of people assume these this practice time means nothing. No, it means a lot. It means a lot. Uh, I was listening to uh, the guys on SiriusXM who do NFL, and uh, one of them, Pat Kerwin, is like, he is, he is a staunch believer in practice, 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 practice. And he was like, keep an eye on the Niners, even though it's only one day. Like, I don't want to hear that you got all your work done because come August, when your work's not done and everything's not installed, there could be some problems. So, again, not, not freaking out, but interesting move by the Niners to say, you know what, we've done what we needed to do, we're out. Uh, a couple of highlights from Raiders camp today, and before we get to all of the highlights, you know, every Wednesday the media's had a chance to get out there and meet, greet, interview, do some stories. Kenyon Drake had some availability today. Uh, He said that he's, quote, fully engulfed in John Gruden's offense, which might be a little hard to believe since Gruden has one of the more complicated offenses in the history of the NFL. But you like to hear that enthusiasm. That's a good thing. And again, going back to the Niners, canceling practice, it's not just, you know, these days aren't just important for the rookies who were in there, right? Like like Trey Lance needs every minute of work he can get with the Niners. Uh, but it's also important for the newcomers like Kenyon Drake, who's going to have a big role in this offense. He said he's living and breathing the offense right now. Also said he hasn't talked uh, talk specifically with Josh Jacobs, who actually hasn't been out there at voluntary OTAs. has been in the building, but he actually hasn't been on the field. But he says uh, 
Drake says we'll be able to compliment each other. So hopefully, right, this is a really important position. It's a position the Raiders believe in, in the Joker position. It didn't work out last year where they had plans for Lynn Bowden Jr. and he didn't even get to uh, the regular season before he got traded to the Dolphins. And on the defensive side, this is a really important topic today. We'll get into this with our legal insider. So we're giving you trending it too and kind of looking ahead in the show. You know, a lot of the National Football League still has issues with plenty of members on the field and off not being vaccinated. And there are rules in place. You want to operate like normal, you got to get to a threshold. You got to get to uh, whatever it is, 85%, 88%. We know the, you know, the bills have been real vocal off the field and guys saying they're not going to get vaccinated. Uh, Solomon Thomas spoke about it today. This is according to uh, Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. And he did say that the team has had conversations about the vaccine and players realize there are limitations for players who are not vaccinated. And uh, remember the name Montez Sweat for later in the show because he made some headlines today, a really weird deal around the football team. Also trending at two, we got NBA, one game tonight. Jazz survived last night. I put survive. People are looking at this differently. All ends of the spectrum. They beat the Clippers. I look at it as a big positive for the Clippers. Others look at it. That Jazz win as no Mike Conley. They missed 21 shots in a row in the first half. They were down big at the half, and they came back to win the game. I look at it as the Clippers came in strong, even though they just finished off an emotional series, having to win a game seven. Last time out, and honestly, the execution on the final shot sucked. So they can't be they they can't do worse than that one where you know it's Paul George no three, Kawhi Leonard no three. Oh, Morris is in the corner. Let him take multiple threes. What? And no timeout to set up a play. So we'll set up that series as uh, Joe Esposito will be in a little later on our resident coach in the NBA game tonight six thirty Suns five hosting. The Nuggets. All right, so last night's game, just amazing. And so many moments in the game as you're watching and now that you look back where you're like, how did they win this game? Just go to the overtime. That was the most insane opening minute of an overtime you're ever going to see. The Knights, you feel like have some momentum? Going to the overtime, they pulled off a comeback against a team that had essentially dominated for different parts of like 25 minutes, if not more. Felt like a freaking power play out there. They come out, the Avs, right off the faceoff and get an unbelievable opportunity off a rebound. And Comfort's got a shot in front. He cannot. He cannot finish. Right? Landeskog, great shot, quick shot, rebound, Comfort, no. Wasn't it? The funny thing is, it it was a great shot opportunity. It wasn't a very good shot. And Flurry had a ton of room to his left, and yeah, you know, he was trying to slide across after the rebound. And Comfort kind of choked. And give credit to Flurry because he did it all night long. He made twenty eight saves. It felt like there were. You know, 25 one-on-one opportunities, point blank. He came up big time after time after time. And then one of the great things, and listen, all teams, most, at this level, if you've reached this level in the playoffs, 
most teams are going to block shots, right? So we like to, you know, when you're the the hometown fan, the hometown media people, it's like the Knights, they block everything. These guys, the sacrifices they make, Dunreal, Alec Martinez, all the time. Like, they, they do. They're great. No other teams do that. The Avs do it as well. But the setup for the stone goal, what an exhilarating moment, too. Because the, the turnaround within, like, 30 seconds, I mean, you – Breathe a deep sigh of relief because Flurry freaking stones him on two shots. Puck comes the other way. All right. They're still, the abs are still working. They're aggressive. They're firing from deep. Stone blocks one. That block is then sent sort of towards Flurry again. That one's blocked. And then. Hey, sometimes it happens, man. You get a nice bounce. Johnny on the spot. Mark Stone is there. He's freaking tired as hell. You know, he's not freaking zillion mile an hour skater, but he has enough to take the puck, basically get just inches ahead of two defenders. I mean, this is unbelievable because as you watched the actual goal, and in this case, Stone, beautiful placement, you see two abs just flopping on the ground desperately like, can we stop them? And Stone... Perfect spot. Nachuskin out to the right point. Shot by Graves blocked. Graves with it again. Pacioretty comes away with the puck. Ahead for Stone. Mark Stone moving in on Grubauer. He shoots. He scores. The Golden Knights win game five. 50 seconds into overtime. Just like that. Just like that. Freaking stunning. Stunning. I'm sitting there watching it and like, okay, this is a good opportunity. But the Knights have had opportunities like this. These one-on-one chances. Throughout and hey, these goalies are awesome. But Stone, I mean, at the like at the edge of desperation, you know, every ounce of effort he could throw in there. But this guy, he's awesome. They, that first line hasn't been consistently great. You know, the the show has been stolen by the misfit line. Uh, Pete DeBoer after the game is like, that's our guy. That's why we love Mark Stone. That was vintage Mark Stone because blocked the shot in our end of the ice first. Uh, and then got the breakaway uh, and stuck it in the net with a perfect shot. So if there's one uh, sequence of plays that kind of defines him, that would be it. Uh, Willing to do that grunt work and that dirty work uh, around our net uh, defensively and uh, the big-time play uh, to win it for us. And they have so many dudes like that. You know, dudes, you're like, hey, that's an offensive guy. Nope. Two-way player. And that's why Stone was such a coveted guy. That's why the Knights, when they got him, are like, extension, big extension. He's our guy. Uh, Tuck said it afterwards. Hey, you know what? You're looking for a captain. This is the kind of guy you want. And I mentioned that kind of that desperation. You get a chance. You got to take advantage of it. You're gassed. I mean, uh, he was exhausted. Um, And then you saw how hard he skated all the way down the ice. Like you said, he blocked that shot. Um, He's the heart and soul of this team. Uh, He wears his character on his chest. And um, he's a captain uh, that we've always wanted. And uh, you know what? It was a huge goal. It was great. Uh, he was, I think he was a little frustrated with himself sometimes early in the game. And uh, he came out um, huge for us there right in the start of overtime. So uh, really happy for Sony and really happy he scored. That's such a great line. The captain we've always wanted. Cue the, cue the cheesy music, right? Then Stone, completely unassuming afterwards, is like, he's not a matter of fact, but it's like, got the job done. You know, I had a couple of big shot blocks uh, right before that. And, 
on the D-men shoots, I like that. They can get flat-footed, so um, I just took off. And it's fortunate to end the game. 20 seconds into overtime, the game should have been over. Probably should have been packing our thing and going home, but Flower made a huge save to keep us uh, keep us in it and give, give me the opportunity to end it. Team game, though, right? Team game. You had uh, blocks. You have to have the pass, the collection, from patches, up to stone. You got to have Flurry making big saves. DeBoer was uh, very, I'll, I won't say fired up. He was happy. I've liked our whole group, you know, I, you know, the, the matchup thing for me is, is overblown. Uh, I know, uh, you know, the analytics say this and say that we we're here in this position with an opportunity to win this at home because of our depth and our ability to play four lines and six defensemen and, you know, and our goaltender who was great tonight. We will get to the goaltender because Flurry was great last night. That was an amazing performance. And again, this is all part of this tremendous story that has unfolded over the last year and a half. Flurry left for dead, right? Got the new goalie. Now he's been needed. He's turned in this amazing season. And last night was about as good as it gets. And that was after giving up a goal, a buzzer beater at the end of the first period where a lot of goalies would just be freaking deflated. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Get up by Pantretti, out for Stone, here he comes, working left side, he shoots, he scores! Mark Stone, he wins it in overtime, 3-2 Golden Knights, the captain delivers his fifth goal of the playoffs. The Golden Knights, game-winning goal-scoring leader in the regular season, wins it in OT. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Well, that was cool. Talk about some emotion. I hadn't heard that call yet. Watching uh, TV. Hadn't heard the Duva call. That's awesome. He's great. He's great. Uh, when I drive around and I'm listening to 98.9 FM or 1340, um, yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Obviously, you, know, you want to see the Knights do well, but uh, Duva's passion on goals, and especially that one, right? Because it was such a quick turnaround emotionally. The Knights almost freaking lost the game. Because uh, they get two quick shots right off the bat. Flurry somehow saves the shot from Comfer, and Comfer just you know didn't lift it. Didn't lift it. That's been one of the stories. And hey, these you know that's why that's why elite goal scorers are tough to find, and you don't convert on every chance. But here's the thing: none of this happens unless Flurry stands on his head in a lot of one-on-one, two-on-one situations. He made a ton of big saves. Again, you know, hey, you need some puck luck. You know, he's sitting there, he needs to kiss the crossbar and needs to kiss the post a couple times. Those things happen. Now, part of that is, you know, the goalie making sure that he's closing off most of those open spots. And now the abs are kind of in that funk that the Knights have found themselves in at times where they're like, okay, what the hell? We're getting opportunities. Why can't we score? And the way the Knights have been scoring recently, the creativity or taking advantage of breaks or bad plays I mean, you're going to the third period. It's 2 nothing. Yeah, The second period, literally, it felt like a power play the whole time. Yeah, it was just an onslaught, right? It just shot after shot, danger after danger, a dangerous moment. Boy, you come out in the third, and I don't know if the abs relaxed a little bit, but the Knights were freaking ready to go. Burakovsky, who's made a couple of mistakes in the series, makes a, a freaking bad one, a turnover in his own end, and it was like, boom, boom. Uh, here's Duva on the call as you hear the turnover, and then without Wah making a great pass, and then Tuck hitting a fluttering puck out of the air, amazing. Now Wah gets it back, Tuck out in front, he scores! A little two-touch off the blade of his stick and into the goal. Vegas on the board and now trailing 2-1. to one. Alex Tuck 
snaps the seven-game drought. What a pass from Nicholas Watt. And essentially that whole feeling of being down 2-0, you're getting dominated, going to the third break. Now it's gone because you've got a goal within the first minute. And then the Avs really didn't settle in. And then they they make, you know, they're on the attack. They make a stupid pass. It's behind. Uh, goes off a player's skate. And then again, now you've got the misfits in this you know, perfect setup. And Carlson and the direction he took, Carlson cuts across. And all of a sudden he's got Riley Smith and Marcia So. Just essentially wide open, one-on-one, either side against Grubauer. And he threads the needle, and Marcia So, again, is just there like, bop. Vegas the other way, maybe with numbers. Right side, Carlson cuts to the middle. He shoots. Marcia So scores! Tie game! William Carlson drifting left across the slot. He didn't have room to get it on goal. Marcia So was parked at the right post. Marcia So gets it to a 2-2 tie. Vegas has two goals in the first five minutes of the third. Amazing. 15 minutes left in the game. You got a tie game now. All of the, you know, we just got dominated. We're, we could get blown out here. We are going to be down 3-2. But yeah, that feeling's gone. And that, man, that's been the series, right? They go down 2-0. Now they've stormed back and won three games. Uh, a couple of games ago, they're down 2-1. Nothing's happening. And then bang, bang, a couple of goals. What a night. Uh, love that the Misfits continue to deliver. It's a hell of a story. We'll continue with the coverage. As first, we go out of town with a national voice in Zig Fracassi, and then towards the end of the hour, we're going to talk to Darren Millard. The phones are always open on Cofield and Company. Call 702-364-1100 now. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. What a freaking game to recap. The Knights win it. Great comeback. Zig Fracassi covers the sport nationally for Sirius XM NHL. What do you think, pal? The Knights' resiliency, the biggest story in this one across the board? Vegas hung with it. They play a strict defensive-type style. And ultimately, Colorado was forced into some mistakes. And that's how they capitalized on the first goal. And then they were on a rush towards the other end. They coughed up the puck. Vegas got quick transition. And then ultimately, they would cash that in. And then obviously, Mark Stone gets the winner in overtime. So I think what it was was Vegas stuck with it. They didn't panic with things. Colorado had more pressure on them. And I think as that increased, as the game wore on, Steve, it affected them. Vegas, a veteran team. That's why they were able to prevail, and now they lead in this series. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the game. I thought, you know, one of the massive points, and I saw you make the point on Twitter, was Flurry's resilience. Uh, a veteran goaltender, you're going to give up bad goals, and that was a bad goal at the end of the first period. But this guy's rock solid. He went to the break, and he came out and played a hell of a game the rest of the way. You know, Steve, I was watching that goal from like four or five different angles, and I thought maybe. I think it was Martinez was defending on that play. And I'm wondering as when Saad took the shot, if somehow that stick got, you know, part of the puck and it may have changed direction from what Fleury was anticipating. So I couldn't tell definitively, but it may have been one of those sort of knuckle pucks, if you will, that you think you've got a gauge on it, and all of a sudden it starts moving away that you don't expect it to. So could he have demonstrated a soccer move and maybe headed the puck or shouldered the puck? Absolutely. But I think it fooled him. 
But you know what, Steve? The guy's a three-time Stanley Cup champion, has played in several big games. It didn't phase him. It didn't phase the rest of the team. They knew they would get their act together, and ultimately they did. I think the Flurry story is mind-blowing when you think about it. So locally last year, all we did was argue back and forth. Uh, there were pro-Leonard guys, pro-Flurry uh, pro guys. It looked like Flurry was basically left for dead after Leonard took the job, got the extension. Then Foley steps in, says, we're keeping Flurry. It seemed like, hey, you know, he's going to be a bit player. It's going to be Leonard. Then they need Flurry, and the year he's turned in has been simply incredible at this age. Yeah, it really is. And I think it's just a testament, too, that outwardly Flurry has that aw shucks, great guy sort of demeanor. But I think deep down, when you're a competitor like that, when you've had as much success like you've had, and obviously he's got a Hall of Fame uh, induction waiting for him when he's done playing, I think the competitor came out in him and said, you know what, if I get a chance, I'm going to seize this job back. And, you know, people are going to question, Steve, if you want to even go back to game one, that, and I think Eddie Olchick may have made the best analogy to this. This was like the starting pitcher that was going to get lambasted because the bullpen was so tired. In other words, he's going to go out there and allow 10 runs on 12 hits. They got off that Minnesota series. Fleury played all the games. And I think the Boers sort of almost almost conceded in a way, Steve, game one against the rested Avs and then the rest of the series, as they say to this date, uh, has turned out to be history. Yeah, I think the other big uh, story in game five, when we're talking to Zig Fracassi from SiriusXM NHL about this Avalanche Golden Knights series, uh, the other big problem with the Avs has been stupid mistakes. Um, yes. And there were some turnovers. Burakovsky with the turnover, um, you know, that – led to the tuck goal, and then go back a game. Borakovsky with the weird, like, takedown hooking of tuck yeah. that also led to a goal. His lack of discipline is really killing the Avs. Yeah, and, and I thought another thing that I noticed, too, uh, especially back, Steve, to game five, was when Colorado was on the power play. And I noticed, like, McKinnon... And then ultimately, McCard doing this too. You know how in basketball they have the term hero ball? Well, I think in this particular instance, they were doing a little too much hero puck. And what I mean by that is, yeah, their, their speed through the neutral zone is absolutely outstanding. But when you've got a power play and as good as theirs is, yeah, you want to get the zone and do the best you can. But it seemed like they were doing a little too much me last night and not working the puck around to the perimeter and then ultimately setting up the points and getting a, a potential shot there. In other words, I thought they were doing too much. Maybe it's because McKinnon hasn't scored in three straight games and he's been you know, silenced throughout this series. So I think that was something too. So in addition to the well-said mistakes you, you pointed out, uh, I think also they were doing a little too much me stuff, and I think they paid for that dearly. How have the Golden Knights limited McKinnon so severely? Well, I, I think from a combination of things. They haven't, at least the games I saw from the uh, from Vegas, uh, from the Fortress, it seemed as though uh, they were playing the space with him. In other words, they weren't really giving him much to get around. So I think that's probably part of, you know, clogging the neutral zone. You're trying to mix up the defenders the best that you can maybe have Carlson out there 
defending him a little bit, maybe Wah out there a little bit too. So I think uh, they've kept the space in front of him. So in other words, he hasn't been able to get around the defense like he normally would. So I think that's a, a key consideration too. And also, you know, I think you I think it's a sign to Vegas that ultimately Colorado had to switch up the lines because yep. Landeskog's usually on that front line with McKinnon and Rantanen, and then they figured they had to shuffle in Sod there to try to balance out the top two lines. So I think that's a testament to how Vegas has defended the top two lines thus far. Yeah, the the Golden Knights line depth now that you know everyone is back and Janmark just returned for Game Five, but I think the the line depth, especially because Kadri's out for the Avs, I think that's been a, one one of the big differences in the series as well. Yeah, you know, and there's a guy, Steve, that I thought once he got out of Toronto would really start to blossom because I thought he was kind of an underappreciated, underutilized asset there. But unfortunately, Kadri's got a little bit of a temper on him, and uh, he's been known to have borderline hits. He's been suspended before, and I think that's one of the big differences in this series too because I think Colorado is missing some kind of, I don't know, intestinal fortitude, you want to call it testosterone, call it whatever you want. He's kind of the agitator, a skilled agitator that brings it when he's focused. They're very tough to beat. I think that's a huge difference in this series. But, hey, you know, Colorado still has to play on. They still have plenty of talent. But Vegas has done, like I mentioned, such a great job neutralizing them. And then ultimately, you know, like in in game five, you know, they started to finally get some shots, too, from their forwards because 12 of the first 13 shots were from defensemen. So, you know, you mix all of that in, and that's why Vegas is ahead in the series. Well, I think it's pretty telling, and we'll see what happens in game six, that DeBoer did not play Ryan Reeves, electing to go with uh, yep. Keegan Colasar instead. And, you know, in the case of Reeves, you know, he's he made the key mistake. He got himself suspended for a couple of games. And this series has been so much about uh, who's avoided the penalty box. You cannot commit five or six penalties and give this Avs team one of the two best power play teams in the sport. You can't give them those opportunities. So no Reeves. No, that, that's true. And you know what? It seemed as though, Steve, they didn't miss nah. any of the physical part. Nope. And that, that to me is a, a good sign that indeed as, as rugged as Reeves is, there are other guys that can play the physical game too and stay out of the penalty box. And I thought uh, that that was an interesting move by DeBoer, and it turned out it, it turned out to be genius. You know, hanging over the uh, the Avs' head going into Game 6 as they trail in the series is the fact that they do have a bunch of uh, unrestricted free agents, including McKinnon. Is there any sign that they may not be able to hold this all together for, you know, more runs in the future? It's a great question. I would say that at some point, Steve, somebody's going to have to go because – the way the pandemic uh, affected this NHL now, uh, the the cap for people that may not know is in the neighborhood of $81.5 million, and the low end of it, in other words, sort of the minimum you have to spend is 60. So the Avs are hovering right around that. Um, they, they may run Joe Sackick out of Colorado if uh, they didn't re-sign Nathan McKinnon, although one name that is an unrestricted who's been the goaltender in this series, is Philip Grubauer. Now, there may be a possibility that at some point they may not be able to, you know, re-sign him. Remember, Steve, they also got to give Makar a long-term deal. So 
as wonderfully as they're built, somewhere down the road, you know, the, the money's going to come due. And with that cap, and I mentioned 81 and a half million, and because of the pandemic, revenues have plateaued. And from what I keep hearing, we may be looking at this uh, $81.5 million not going up or down for a couple of years yet. So now you may have guys ultimately locking in with their teams on lower terms but getting you know less money but maybe getting mm-hmm. that more security, in other words, taking less even to stay home. But uh, they'll re-sign McKinnon. But other guys, again, they got to take care of McCarr. Maybe they let Grubauer go. Maybe they, they got some young prospects wow. uh, in their farm system uh, to take gold for the Colorado Avalanche. Talking NHL, Zig Fricasi's on the horn with us. Last couple, Zig, I want to go around the league here, and I don't want to jinx what's going on in this series. I would love to see the Vegas Golden Knights advance to the next round. How the hell is Montreal, the team sitting there, out of the Canadian bracket? How did this, how did this happen, Zig? Yeah, I. you know what? I'd like to know that myself, but I'll tell you this. A couple of things. One – uh, as good as Toronto was, Steve, in terms of their regular season, the fact was the North was a very weak division. Winnipeg, I thought, was pretty strong. Edmonton obviously got the one-two punch there with um, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. But I think what happened was Toronto had been living, I think, on the edge all year long. As good as Jack Campbell was filling in for Frederick Anderson – Toronto still has a problem with the goaltending. Their defense still wasn't very good. And yeah, they had some injuries too. But what I think it also showed with Montreal was they hung with it. Carey Price, you know, he to me has been kind of a polarizing type of guy. He, I think in terms of international competitions, he's this legendary goalie. But from the NHL standpoint, there's only been, I think, one other appearance for him in a conference final, and now he's to that level. He was superb. He was clearly better than the Toronto goaltending. That's why they were able to rally. Then, obviously, they inserted the kid, kind of almost a playoff, your last name, Caulfield. Cole Caulfield, who was their first-round pick from a decorated career at Wisconsin, played well for Team USA in past competitions. He gave them an offensive boost, And then in the Winnipeg series, the Jets never regained their mojo, Steve, after being off for so long. Uh, And then, obviously, I I thought maybe they took them for granted in game one. And then the Shifley hit on Evans was unconscionable. And to me, right then and there, I says, Winnipeg is in deep doo-doo. They ultimately get swept. That's why Montreal's there. And let's let's not ignore Tyler Toffoli. Very good free agent addition. Uh, Corey Perry's got championship experience. They got him for the minimum. Uh, They made some moves. They've had some good drafts there in Montreal, but it is an improbable run, needless to say, for the NHL's most storied franchise. Zig, let's close on this. The uh, Vegas odds board changed after game five, so now Tampa is a slight favorite to win the cup. Vegas is just behind them in uh, that plus 210 to plus 250 range. Tampa's plus 190. What do you think? Again, not to look ahead because the uh, Knights are not out of the series and they could very easily lose game six and seven. You going with Tampa? Who's going to be the champion? It's hard to go against them, Steve. I thought they were a little vulnerable a couple of times in the Florida series, but they were able to get by that. Then they knocked off a team that they actually finished behind 
in the regular season in the Carolina Hurricanes. And to me, Tampa's got everything that you're looking for. They're healthy now. They've got balanced scoring. Uh, Hedman, I think, was nominated for one of the three spots for the Norris Trophy for the best defenseman in the league. I think he's going to win that. Vasilevsky is a stonewall. To me, he's the best goalie in the NHL right now. So you factor all of that in, and they seem to have the hunger to want to repeat. It's going to take a Herculean task, Steve. Whoever's going to you know, come out of the other uh, Boston or Islanders bracket, that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but and Tampa beat both of them last year, by the way, on the way to the to the Stanley Cup win. I don't unless something dramatic happens. I I can't see anybody knocking off Tampa for a possible repeat. Zig, you're the best man. We appreciate the time. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. Thank you. There he is, Zig Fracassi, with the national take from Sirius XM NHL. On the way back, we'll get the local take. Darren Millard from the Knights and AT&T Sportsnet will check in on what was a dramatic night in Denver. Finley Toyota in the Valley Auto Mall has the largest Toyota service facility in Nevada. Majuskin out to the right point, shot by Graves block. Graves with it again. Pacioretty comes away with the puck. Ahead for Stone. Mark Stone will get on Grubauer. He shoots. He scores. The Golden Knights win game five. 50 seconds into overtime. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Good call there by Kenny Albert on NBC. I may have let out a woo Woo! on that goal. I may have nights for the series at plus 360 and plus 500. I might. I might. But gambling's not what it's all about, right? Darren Millard covers the Golden Knights. He's part of the team at AT&T Sportsnet. Darren is on with us with a dramatic turnaround in this series, dramatic turnaround in the game last night. 3-2. What's up, Darren? Hey, uh, when did you buy that? Did you buy it when they were down two? Yeah. Yep. You did, eh? Good yeah. for you. Yeah. So... Yeah, you know what? Every once in a while it works out. Believe me, I do that all the time, and most times it doesn't work out. I wish I had done it uh, for uh, Montreal in the uh, first round, but didn't do it. So we'll see if the Knights can close this out. I would out. have talked you out of that. Yeah, yeah. I would have talked you yeah, out of that. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> so let's talk about, before we get into the particulars of this game, let's just talk about this series so far as a hockey guy, right? Like, we're enveloped in the series. These are great games, right? It's not just because we're you know stuck in this emotionally. They, these games seem awesome. Oh, absolutely. You, you talk to uh, people around the league who are uh, tuning into the series. And uh, let's start at the very beginning of the season. Uh, this, this was the matchup that everybody wanted to see and hoped to see uh, in, in the postseason. And when you get to the playoffs, you, you need both teams to survive, and you're, you're uh, not rooting against St. Louis or, or the Minnesota Wild. I'm talking to people around the the league, but uh, but they were hoping to be able to see it, and and they finally did. And uh, no offense to Winnipeg and Montreal or the <laughs> Islanders and the Bruins in this round, uh, uh, Carolina and and Tampa Bay. This this series is the one that's delivered uh, from an entertainment uh, standpoint, goals, performances, big moments, and pace of play. I, we're we're talking uh, uh, Canada Cups or World Cups, uh, where where you remember these great. Uh, Canada USA or Canada Russia uh, type performances uh, where they just go back and forth uh, all night. That's the level of play that that we're talking about during during this series. The Carolina and and Tampa Bay I thought would be a, a fun series, not even close. Like it did just 
something happened in that set. Uh, uh, both teams uh, uh, failed to to deliver the the type of uh, electricity and uh, and high octane offense, and, and Tampa Bay's moving on. But but both teams in this set have had their moments. So the Stone game winner doesn't happen uh, overtime. Doesn't happen if some of the other lines don't come up big and. Uh, with Tuck on the third line, that was gigantic to steal back a little momentum to start the third. And I, I got to say, the misfit line, I like, I don't know what's going on. It's a good line, but man, they the Avs cannot control these guys. What's going on? Well, I tell you what, they've been going good for a while. And I said to uh, Ryan Wallace the other day, isn't it nice that the, that the misfit line's finally scoring, uh, that we can stop saying, and, and that kind of, you kind of feel sheepish in a way going, Folks, they're, they, they are not getting uh, an ounce out of what they're producing because they've been producing a lot of opportunities. And just there's been uh, – the production ha- hasn't been there. But they've been going good for a while. And, uh, and you're starting to see them uh, pay off. That Carlson dish, uh, Jonathan Marcheseau, and, and we know what Marcheseau's done the last couple of games. Uh, Riley Smith, uh, uh, I, I think uh, you see his value in game three – or sorry, game two when he takes a penalty, like what his value is in that – not having him out there to kill the penalty, uh, so there's there's it, there's a multiple different levels uh, be, for this line, but uh, I think it's just it's such a cool part of the story too that the misfit line uh, is the one that uh, ends up coming up huge uh, to to turn this series around. Uh, and given what uh, what we've gone through in the last uh, four years, and, and them being the original Golden Knights, you know, we all get a bit cheesy talking about hard work. In hockey, because yeah. sometimes it does just take pure talent. But the final play, the goal by Stone, like on so many fronts, was about effort and making the sacrifice and hard work when you're freaking gassed. Yeah, and and uh, and kind of pulling aside, and I've talked to Mark about this, uh, the whole um, insinuation that he's not a great skater and uh, and was uh, overlooked in the draft because uh, he wasn't a great skater and slipped to the to the sixth round. Uh, the guy can get up and down the ice. It may not be the prettiest stride, right, right. and I think there's 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 a difference there. But the, but he can skate. He can get up and down the ice. Uh, you don't play with Chandler Stevenson uh, or Max Pacioretty and uh, and not get left behind if you can't get up and down the ice. And, and he does that. So uh, I, I think that uh, once and for all, we can put aside the notion that uh, that he's not uh, a great skater uh, because the when you're gassed and you're still able with the First thing that goes uh, when you're when you're gassed is is all your form and everything goes crazy and you don't have the ability to to, to produce or, or, or function the way uh, the way you normally do and he was still able to to get down the ice and and somehow will that puck uh, into the net and I remember earlier in the game he had that it was late in the third period where he danced around uh, uh, I think it was Taves uh, yep. and and had the chance and just went high yep. uh, with, with the shot and. I was kind of surprised that he went to the same spot again, and uh, and and Grubauer uh, was uh, was not able to meet the match uh, of the great shot. But uh, you, you like that's that's there's a whole lot of will in that play by Mark Stone, but uh, talent uh, is is right there with the footwork and with the execution with the hands, and then the jump. I challenge uh, Mark Stone <laughs> to, to come up with any type of moment where. Yeah. Uh, where there's proof that he's he's been higher off the ice than that jump into Max Pacioretty's arms. Right. Uh, the video we saw, it's funny, we were talking to Stormy uh, just a couple days ago, and Stormy's like, yeah, I'm trying to do more video. That was her video yeah. that everyone got to see, you know, where we see the goal and the, the, the explosion of emotion. Good job by Stormy. 
Do you know how much people pay, like, uh, yes. to, to, yeah. to have the opportunity to sit there, uh, like photographers at the Super Bowl, and you're assigned that spot, and then you're like, ah, I'm not going to get the good spot. And Stormy was in the exact perfect spot uh, for that video to come around the corner. Amazing. Darren Millard's with us, superstar broadcaster covering the NHL and covering your <laughs> Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, we didn't mention Flurry, which is crazy, in the, the first six minutes of this conversation. Um, it's it's so weird the way hockey works because he gives up the buzzer beater. He was pissed. Like wouldn't he wouldn't take any uh, consoling from his teammates. He was pissed at the end of the first period. He recovers. He makes all these uh, great saves. And then there were it was amazing how many good opportunities. Uh, you know, second and then uh, at times in the third. The Avs had, you know, Rantanen hits the crossbar. O'Connor, who's just back in, freaking one-on-one. He can't get the job done. He stonewalled them so many times. And uh, and first of all, let's start with, with the goal. Uh, and the reason why I want to start with the goal is it was classic Marc-Andre uh, with the reaction. Like, tossing his stick up in the air. Can't believe it. Like, uh, like the reaction we all would have uh, after it. And that's why one of the reasons why I love the guy. Is is he's just one of us emotionally uh, with his love of the game and and uh, the way he goes out and plays it and and so many people would be stoic and just uh, skate to the corner and do that little thing and there's nothing wrong with that but I just love the fact that 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 he reacted the same way we all were watching the game going ah darn it um, and uh, I didn't say darn it uh, at the time but uh, <laughs> then then he comes back and uh, I I'm not one to buy into that that's why. He was so spectacular uh, because he was great before that. Uh, but uh, but I'm certainly uh, in the camp that there's there's some extra motivation. And uh, listen, um, you, you may not uh, agree with me on this, but Robin Leonard going in and taking the heat and taking the uh, the brunt of that Colorado force in game number one uh, will be looked at as as a Vegas loss and Leonard getting uh, put into a tough spot and taking it. Uh, but, uh, but his stats won't reflect uh, nicely on him. But what that did, Steve, was, was buy just an extra uh, couple of days for Marc-Andre Fleury to rest. And he's in this series, he's uh, three wins and an overtime loss and been spectacular. And I'm not sure, coming off a seven-game series against Minnesota, if he has to go right in and play that next game against Minnesota, you get the same type of, or sorry, against Colorado, you get the same type of Mark Andre Fleury that we're watching. So uh, while it won't go down as a victory or any type of uh, great moment for Robin Leonard, being able to spell off for the whole game uh, and take all seven goals, uh, Robin Leonard uh, deserves some credit in this uh, as well. Will we see Ryan Reeves the rest of the way in the series? Should we see Ryan Reeves? I don't know because Yanmark's play on the tuck goal. Like so, so there's there's a couple of things why I'm I'm not a big change your lineup. We're gonna have uh, Pete DeBoer on the Insider Show right at four o'clock. He's Sweet. gonna pop on with us, so we're uh, we're excited about that. And uh, and I want to talk to him about uh, his philosophy on this uh, because I, I'm. I'm of the ilk, uh, more traditionalist, you don't change a winning lineup, but he's been more than willing to change a winning lineup. And not when he's been forced to change a winning lineup, but when he's had, rare as it is, that uh, he's got healthy bodies and, and, and has to make coaching decisions. And he made that change. And why? Uh, one of the reasons why I anticipate he made that change wasn't to put Yanmark in, who's uh, an upgrade in your lineup uh, offensively, but 
it helps get Alex Tuck going on the third line. And, and Tuck's better with Yanmark and that speed. And that goal that got Vegas on the scoreboard last night can be traced back to a coach's decision uh, by putting Yanmark in the lineup and Yanmark gets the puck to Tuck. So uh, he won't get an assist, but I think Pete DeBoer deserves some credit for, for uh, the comeback in the sense of it's Yanmark that starts the play. We're 90 minutes away from uh, the Bruins trying to stave off elimination against the Islanders. What happens? <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's been a flip of the coin uh, <laughs> throughout the, this, this whole series. And um, it's funny, I talked to Brad Park and uh, Ken Morrow, uh, going back, you and I are of the same sort of era. Uh, I talked to them for my podcast this week, and we reflected on the last time the Bruins and the Islanders met. That was 1983. And the Bruins, believe it or not, were the President's Trophy winners that year. Uh, were spectacular under Jerry Cheevers, and the Islanders were coming off three straight Stanley Cups, but it hit a bit of a speed bump. Roly Melanson was the uh, the better of the two goaltenders that year. And going into the, the, the third round, there is some question. Bruins had home ice, whether the Islanders were at the end of the run, and the Islanders went out and blew them away in six games, and there was blowouts all over the place in the series, and, and the Islanders uh, just flexed their muscles. So uh, going back to 1983, uh, which is the last time they met to yeah. right now, I still haven't figured out the Bruins and the Islanders in, in the postseason. Uh, the Bergeron line can do anything. Like Brad Marchand's goal the other night, uh, knowing that he can do that at any particular time, I, I don't count out the Boston Bruins. I hope it goes seven because it's been uh, next to uh, this, this series. It's been, a, it's been a great one. Trust me, we're from the same era because when I was in middle school, I had a buddy, Frank Carace, right? This is central New Jersey. Yeah. Most of us are Devils fans or Rangers fans, and he was an obnoxious fatso, and he used to wear his Islanders shiny jacket, that champion jacket. So yeah. during the summer, we played <laughs> wiffle ball, and I could, re- I could really hum a wiffle ball. I used to hit him on purpose all the time because that stupid Islanders jacket. Chubby Frankie. <laughs> he was. He was. But he was, he was a fan of a winning team. He picked the right team at the time. I mean, my God. I think it was, uh, what, it was uh, like 11 or 12 years later before the Rangers finally won one of the Devils were very good, actually, as well, in the 90s. Here's the best part about the conversation with uh, Ken Morrow and Brad Park is we were reflecting on, on the Boston Garden where the Bruins played that, uh, that series. And then it, it occurred to me, hell, the Islanders are still in the same building. Like, what's this? What the heck's going on? They're still in Fort Neverlose in, uh, at Nassau Coliseum. Uh, Chubby Frankie, I wonder what he's doing now. I'm sure he's a big success and a millionaire. He had money He had money back then, so I'm sure he's doing okay. <laughs> uh, he's not taking your call right now. No, no. I hadn't thought, you know, it's funny. I hadn't thought of the kid or his name in freaking 25 years. So good job, Darren. <laughs> memories, memories for the audience. All right. Uh, have a good show today. Uh, everyone flip over to uh, 1340 and 98.9 FM at 4 o'clock. Pete DeBoer is on. Thanks, Darren. You're too kind, man. Thank you. Here we go. Three o'clock hours on the way. We're going to flip to basketball. We'll get the coach, Joe Esposito, in. He's going to break down what the hell happened to the Clippers in the final seconds of that game. That's inexcusable. Visit lvsportsnetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.